Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are here on a Wednesday afternoon, changing things up a bit because we have an SME. So we're adhering to a schedule and we're trying to march forward with bringing you new and inventive people every single week. Of course, you can find us at www.rltechfl.com. You can also email us at info at rltechfl.com. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com forward slash rltechnologies180. And of course, we want to make sure that you go check us out Get a look at our playbook, which is currently on Restaurant Dive, focusing on RL Technologies and all of our wonderful creativity there, what we offer, and also taking a deep dive into the payment processing industry. Of course, that was uh, created with our friends there at Studio ID. You can subscribe today to Restaurant Dive at industrydive.com. They've got about 34 different industries you can dive into, 14 million readers. Mm-hmm. And that uh, there's, a, there's a plethora of restaurant-related industries, also retail industries, manufacturing industries. So uh, you may find something in there that you've also got a, an ancillary or a peripheral interest in. But again, that's industrydive.com. When you log into it, you'll be asked which particular dive you're interested in. I think it's a selection of four, right, Ralph? Yeah, you can pick as many as you want. Oh, outstanding. Yeah. No, I have five. Okay. So, or <laughs> you can do all 34 if you're mm-hmm. that bored. But again, uh, go in there. Once you get into a restaurant dive, you will see Restaurant Technologies Playbook. Go ahead and download it. You can also find our playbook at our website on the landing page, and you can download it in PDF format there to go through it. Today, we have Brett Alexander Kowalski. He is, of course, sitting here with Private and the Skipper right here. <laughs> and uh, we're going to uh, we're going to have the the opportunity to talk to this uh, this amazing young man who is a restaurant manager down at Seville Quarter. And handles all things. I've seen him running amok down there <laughs> at all hours of the day and night. Even Halloween night when we were down there, Brett was down there. Oh, yeah. I oh, didn't yeah. see him with a beer in his hand until at least 10 o'clock. <laughs> 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 and he had earned it, ladies and gentlemen. He had earned it. But uh, first of all, let's go ahead and take an opportunity for you to just tell uh, the, our listeners a little bit about yourself, brother. Well, hey, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I uh, have been really excited to come on and talk to you all a little bit. Um, as Mike said, I'm the restaurant manager at Seville Quarter. Uh, I've been over there for about four months, uh, bringing about 15 years of service industry experience, both front of house and back of house. So uh, a lot of funny stories, a lot of quirky uh, experiences, and uh, looking forward to sharing some of those. Heck yeah. Yeah, no, so Brett and I actually met uh, when we were both working at the district. Um, I left uh, shortly after getting them uh, getting the contract. And then uh, Brett left about four months after I did, maybe maybe five or six actually. Yeah, not thinking about it. Um, so yeah, yeah, this is exciting. You know, we're both both moving on up. Yeah, full um, circle. Yeah, yeah. The part of this show is uh, to kind of uh, touch on what it's like to go from uh, you know employment status to management status. Okay. Especially since you know you did it within the confines of the company that you currently work for, um, and just uh, kind of give our listeners a little a uh, little insight of you know what the what the shenanigans are like. And there is a lot of shenanigans, that's for sure. <laughs> I feel like there's never a, a day that I come home and there's not just some kind of wacky story that I've I've got to jot down. You're shaking your head at least once a night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Really? Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, so uh, so you're from Virginia, right? What, uh, from uh, Virginia. Dayton, Virginia. Dayton, correct? Virginia. Yeah, yeah a little okay. small town of about a thousand people. Horse and buggies still go up and down the street where I'm from. Man. Outstanding. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. tiny. Is Absolutely. it Amish country up there? Or is Old it... Order Mennonites. Mennonites. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. Okay, fun, I was going to say, yeah, Vir- Vir- Virginia's got the Mennonites. A lot of fatty foods, a lot of homemade ice cream. <laughs> cheeses. The butter. Cheese <laughs> but it's cool, man. I mean, it's, you know, I, I like to think that that's kind of what built my my love for food growing up, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when you, when you left uh, high school, uh, well, take us on your journey. What? Uh... Um, so it was actually kind of funny. I uh, went to the University of Mississippi um, I applied just because I was watching The Blind Side. Uh, I was looking, <laughs> looking for right. a way to get out of town, and I was like, "Man, I, I might as well just apply to, to Ole Miss." So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they lost the acceptance letter in the mail, and uh, I found out I was supposed to find out in January, but I found out in April. Um, so then I like got a call from my mom. She was like, "Hey, you got accepted to Ole Miss," and I'd, I'd completely forgotten that I'd even applied. Just Down there watching, yeah, yeah. It watching was Eli Manning. Yeah, it, it was literally just for the heck of it. And uh, you know, so I just, I went back in and decided that I was going to go ahead and go. And uh, I had never been there, so I I went and visited two days before classes started, and I ended up living there for seven years. So nice. That's okay. nice. Yeah, That's I mean, nice. it's just I love kind Mississippi. Of, yeah, it was just kind of. Which, I mean, going from, you know, Mennonite cooking to Mississippi, you know, soul food, <laughs> right. it, was, oh, yeah. it was perfect. Hell it's yeah. just like a, a little trial. Uh, so what did you go to school for down there? I have a uh, criminal justice bachelor's degree with an emphasis in Homeland Security. Outstanding. Nice. Making awesome. your food, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. here and now. And so, keeping an eye out for you. Yeah, we should have had him on Safe Food, Safe ID. Well, yes, we should have. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's interesting. So we have a, a new piece of technology that we're, we're going to hopefully implement over at Seville. Um, it's an ID verification system. Okay. So uh, we're actually, uh, Mike coined the term, uh, stratification uh, suite of your customers. So uh, we're seeing a, a large uptick in uh, chargebacks and things like that. And what this will do is it'll actually allow uh, the uh, the accounting department to go back and blacklist individuals uh, based on um, chargebacks or being 86 from the restaurant itself, fights, stealing. They're going to have a lot of work on their hands. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but what it'll do is uh, the door people, uh, they'll actually, after they've been 86, um, when they scan their ID, it'll tell them. You know, okay. Like, is it a valid ID or, if, you know, if they have an 86? So Technology is just getting crazy. Yeah, I, mean, I know it, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's adding to everything that we do every day. So did you meet your girlfriend in Mississippi? Uh, no, we actually met while we were uh, – I, I was a wait staff at Jocko's also. Oh, nice. And uh, I met her – Within the like, well, I'd I'd been there for about two, three months or so, mm-hmm. and then she started as a host over there, and I think she probably said no to going on a date with me like three times <laughs> within her first like two days of work. So and then uh, and then you wore down. Yeah, yeah. Tenacious, <laughs> Brett. Yeah. yeah. If you can say nothing else about me, you can say I'm persistent. So. <laughs> hey, you know it's the little engine that could. Yeah. You know, right. In football, we've got we've got skill guys and we've got effort guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'd rather be one of the effort guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it lasts longer. <laughs> Outstanding. So you go there, you don't end up with uh, the Department of Homeland Security by the sounds of it. No. Is there a reason for that? Did you uh, did you you know just chance out of it, or did you educate yourself and think to yourself, this is not where I want to go? So I I after. 
I, I finished up school. It was right in the middle of COVID. Uh, it was 2020 that I, I actually ended up graduating. And uh, I took a job in, in Pensacola here as a um, legal assistant slash paralegal at a personal injury and insurance claims law firm. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> okay. I went from working on my feet and, uh, you know, running around like I do every day mm-hmm. uh, to like sitting at a desk. You know, I was, I was basically shackled down to that thing for nine hours a day. And mm-hmm. that's just not me, you know. It's definitely tough to go, you know, everybody in the restaurant industry is like, oh, man, I'd love to have an office job. And then once they finally get it, you know, it's it's no surprise when they come back three or four months later. Yeah, the grass just like, is. Yeah, I just couldn't, just couldn't handle it. The grass is not always greener. No, no absolutely no. not. And so I just kind of, you know, that was trial and error. And I, uh, I I found that I really, really missed this. So that was nine months that I I gave that job a shot. And mm-hmm. uh it was it was just not for me. I ended up taking on my lunch break. I went down to Jonko's and applied and got the job there. <laughs> Sounds like Big Ed. I was going to say, that's our, that's our second lunch break story. Thing. He did the same thing during COVID. Big Ed COVID. was working for uh, the Anheuser-Busch. Or, not Coca-Cola uh, distributors. Uh, no, no, it was Lewis and Bear. Oh, yeah, a, that's yeah, right. It was, Lewis it was and a beer Bear. distributor. Yeah. Uh, COVID hit, and uh, he was in sales. And I guess they had like let all of the warehouse people they go. Moved him to and the when warehouse. they yeah, they actually moved Big Ed to the warehouse from sales. Oh, and man. like on his second day there, at, like inside of the warehouse, he was he went to the bathroom and was like not yeah, like this. He called quit. called Nate and then Lunch. and then it was like, Hey Nate, can I come back to work? And Nate was like, Yeah, be here at three. Yeah. And I have his and he goes, he's like, You definitely have a position I'm working tomorrow. And yeah. Nate was like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're good. Well, you know, my my time in college, it wasn't like, you know, the cookie cutter um, Ole Miss student that, mm-hmm. you know, had the, you know, the, the, the means to go to that university and didn't have to work or anything like that. Like I was a dishwasher mm-hmm. making eight fifty an hour, working 90 hours a week to put myself through school. Right. So, yeah. you know, it was something like I, I grew up in the industry. Mm-hmm. So whenever I got away from it, it was like you took a part of me away, right. you know. Right. So coming back, it was nice. Yeah, no, and it's funny. It's super like, oh, you know, it's such a st- stressful job. But like, after you get used to that level of, uh, of you know, like working on on that, you know, with that, that much noise, with that yeah. much, uh, you know, anticipation and, and stress level, it's it's hard not, you know, to have that to to function properly. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's a double edged sword, man. It is, it is. You hate it while you're there, but then you love it when you're not. Like, <laughs> so you go to Jocko's then. How long are we at Jocko's? Uh, well, so I was at Jocko's for about a year and a half. Um, and, you know, just day in, day out, waiting tables, you know, four or five hour shifts, which was nice. I'd work about 30 hours a week and, um, you know, it was high volume, but, you know, a little bit more of a, I always think of it as more of like an upscale casual restaurant, right. you know, it's not necessarily like you're fine dining, but you know, when you go to Jocko's, you're enjoying the view that's down there and, yeah, and there's a degree of service that comes along with that. You mm-hmm. know, there's a, there's an expectation that people are going to be taken care of. Right. Um, they're going to have their, their food brought to them in a, in a timely manner. And so that's kind of, it gave me a little bit more of a, of a sense of how to not necessarily provide fine dining, but you know, just that more, upscale, doing the little things right, paying attention to detail. So did this, did you know somebody over at the district? Did you graduate to another job to the district? Or I, I was actually just talking to Ralph about this. Uh, so one of the, the managers over at the district, uh, I walked in and 
Uh, she was at the host stand and I was like, hey, are you guys, uh, this was, you know, I took a little break um, and, and came back, start, got my job back at Jocko's and I was looking to add something else on. So I, I walk into the district and uh, the general manager was there and I was like, hey, are you guys hiring? And she looked at me and she's like, no, we're not. And uh, she actually gave me a card and I left that day. And I sent her an email and I was like, hey, we talked earlier today. You know, I was uh, you, you said that you might have an opening or something. And uh, she wrote me back and said, uh, yeah, sure, we'll come in and, come in and we'll, we'll do an interview. And then I came in, got passed by on that interview. But then she brought me in for uh, and hired me on the next go. So not a bad deal. That's yeah. too funny. Yeah. Obviously too funny. hadn't been to any of the hiring edicts taught at the higher learning levels. <laughs> So you play the uh, you play the part of the squeaky wheel. You get into Seville. Um, now, were you starting upstairs, downstairs? You always start upstairs. Where did you start I was, there? Uh, I was upstairs in the lounge, uh, which definitely anybody that knows me knows that the lounge is a little more uh, my personality. It's uh, it's laid back. It's you know a cool little space to be. It's not necessarily as uh, I don't want to say sharp edged. It's a little, little more rough around the edges up there, and and a little, little more what I like to do. Yeah, yeah. and it uh, and it can get extremely busy too, especially now during the holidays. Oh man, you know the, it's weird. You can go from like no volume in one night to an, a packed out house, and you have to be able to perform. You know, because yeah. you're, you're basically doing the job of two or three cocktail servers. Well, and I mean, you know, we would have evenings where, you know, Thursday, Friday night, there's three of us up there, one person mm -hmm. working behind the bar, one person working the private events room. And then you had me running around taking care of the entire floor. You know, that thing would get so busy. Every oh, yeah. seat was preoccupied. You'd have people standing in the aisle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you got me just kind of zipping through, bumping shoulders with everybody. Yeah. And you have to you have to be on, on your toes. You have to know, like, where you've been, who just showed up, who sat down, who looks yeah. like they need a drink. Um, and then back to one of our previous episodes, this is uh, this is where the tip pulling comes in. Right, um, right. You know, like whenever you're upstairs in that environment, you're all sharing tips, cocktail servers and the bartenders. It's all one giant pool. So, you know, it's all, you know, you don't want anybody up there that can't pull their weight. It is dog eat dog yeah. when it comes to tip pulling. That it is for sure. It is, man. It's, you know, it's everybody's trying really hard because you all know, like, oh, if there's three of you up there, you're not getting that full tip. You don't want to be the one bringing sixty dollars yeah, exactly. where everybody else is bringing, you know, three hundred, four hundred dollars yeah. to it. And in those, in that instance, because of the the private event area up there, it's nothing for you guys to pull in a couple thousand bucks in tips, oh, yeah. you know, per night on a good night. And that's so, cash in hand too, yeah. man. Oh yeah. Now that you've worked at that level and moved to the managerial level, in you know, in direct relation to the discussions we've had, what's your view on tip pooling just as a whole? So if I had it my way, right. uh, at, at Seville entirely would be tip pulling. I mean, I, I think that, that from front to back, uh, it would keep everybody a little bit more sharp. It would keep everybody, uh, it would give that, that performance level where if you weren't performing to the ex expected level that your coworkers are mm -hmm. expecting you to, um, you know, you're either going to get called out for it, they're going to correct you on right. it, or, or you're going to have to find something else because you're just going to hear about it day in and day out. Well, even like before you got there, whenever I was working upstairs, because I was, I actually had migrated downstairs by the time you got to the district. Um, and we had gone through probably about five or six individuals that they tried to move in there that we were just like, no, no, A, they don't mesh well with us and B, they just don't have it. Like they don't have the, the sense of urgency and they just, they just don't got it, you know? It's uh, it's definitely one of those things that like we were like, yeah, so and so is just not pulling their weight, and then boom, out they go. Well, I mean, and you can always tell people that 
that just want to be there. You can always tell people that mm-hmm. don't want to be there too. Exactly. And you know, this industry is hard. It's hard when you want to be there, but it's even harder when you don't want to be there. Yes. You know, if your heart's not in it, man, you'd might as well just not even be there. Mm-hmm. No, you can tell just by the way somebody walks if you've been in the industry long enough, like whether they want to be there or not. Yeah. No, I find it interesting that from a managerial standpoint, like you talk about people that we know, you know, especially from like the bartender's position, like, you know, real highliners, you know, like Fish, mm-hmm. you know, my my younger brother that used to run Apple Annie's and, and those people, especially people that have like a long term designated clientele, you know, where mm-hmm. it's not impossible in fact it's it's you know the the norm where you're pulling in you know 100 and 125 a year just based on your your tip allocation you know and those people if you were to ask them i'm sure would be on the side of no i want mine i'll take care of you know my barbacks etc and my you know he would split with smooth you know but i find it interesting that one of the ideas that you look at from a managerial standpoint is saying okay we could actually move to a better stasis for everyone almost a a corporate level of decision making and punishment for those individuals that don't want to pull their weight you know it's gonna the reaction like ed was talking about it's so much about personality for him now Mm -hmm. you know because he's been lucky enough not to have to deal with that yeah but there are those people that you see, I mean, and even the people that you meet that have been at Barback, like some of the individuals we know, they've been at Barback for 10 years. You're like James. Yeah. Yeah, that's the name that I just actually, yeah, pulled <laughs> pulled out of my head. And I was like, you know, you know, I've seen that guy back there myself for five and a half years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's gotten worse, <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, from a man managerial standpoint, you want the overall performance of everything to be upper echelon. Yeah. And the most efficient way to do that is to affect people's money. Yeah. Well, well honestly, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No. I, I perform better as a, as a cocktail server and even a server, like when I knew that like my tail was on the line. Yeah. You know, if I knew that I like, yeah, I could possibly get fired. Like when Matthew was managing at the district, I mean, I always thought that my head was on the chopping block. You know, but I I performed ten times better than I normally would had I been comfortable in that position. Yeah, well, I mean, you find uh, it a little bit easier to hold others accountable whenever your money is being affected. Right. You know, I right. like I know that if we worked off of a tip pool system, which I'm not saying that we ever would. I don't think it would ever work for a place. You know, Seville's twenty thousand square feet. It's mm-hmm. two city blocks, and it's yeah. it's got a lot going on. I don't <laughs> think tip pooling would ever effectively right. work. And there's, over there's there. a lot of personality. In each room, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, um, it's it's apples and oranges. I it mean, and, and it's apples uh, and roses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Annie's and Rosie's. <laughs> but uh, you know, you wouldn't. I, I I know that I wouldn't have to go to that person and correct their performance because if they're affecting somebody else's money, that person is not going to sit idly by while that's going on. Right. You right. Know? Uh, and I. From a managerial standpoint, I have to have a little bit more um, – I have to be a little more diplomatic in the way that I, I would correct that, whereas, you know, a, a co-worker yeah, sure like, as hell would not. Like, hey, buddy, you <laughs> screwed up tonight. You got to do better yeah. type of deal. Yeah. No, and I honestly – so uh, from – I know from, you know, my own experience that a lot of those bartenders down there have a lot of say in, uh, in who, who cocktails their bar, yeah. especially long term because, you know, they see – 
you know, obviously they want the best cocktail server out there who's talking to everybody trying to upsell because they get a portion of that. Now, I remember when you and I were still going down to Appalachia's quite often. Remember, Smooth went through three cocktail waitresses in like a week. Well, your brother was notorious. Oh, for, yeah. Like if they wanted to get rid of a cocktail server, they, they just sent him to fish. fish. Yeah. yeah. You know, and Fish is actually where Smooth is, smooth is now. Yeah. So that used to be Fish's bar. Right. And, uh, man, he was tough. He was oh, tough. yeah. But, but the money he made oh, was man. just ridiculous. He was, I mean, literally, he was the spot. Like yeah. everyone in town that was anyone knew fish, and that they went there at least one, like once a night. Yeah, on a slow night, they'd be three deep at the bar, yeah. Yeah. and half of them would just be there to see him. Yeah, you know. So, but on the other end of the spectrum, while you, you know you might want that level of execution, and it might also be affordable to you as a manager, not everybody has that. No. You know, and so as you said, diplomacy is key in those events. Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't handle it as you know as sharp handedly as you might like to. Yeah, which I I feel like that's kind of been something I've been adjusting to a little bit is because you know I get in the weeds and in my head it's the same as being in the weeds where I'm running around you know waiting tables, but right. it's not the same thing. I'm I'm not the one that's in that particular uh, in the weeds there, so to speak, but. Uh, you know, my brain still goes immediately to, okay, this is what we need done. This is what we need to accomplish right now. Like, right. Th this needs to happen. So right. let's make it happen. Whether it's a, a a tap line and a cooler being screwed up or, you know, a ticket that someone needs voided out yeah. or an irate customer. You know, it's a... So when you're dealing now, uh, being where you are and, uh, you know, especially with Seville Quarter, you have, you have a wide variety of people, ages, backgrounds, et cetera, that work for you. We've talked here recently in relation to some of the younger components that are currently in the restaurant industry, whether it be fast food all the way into the bar. How do you like dealing with them? What is the most effective way to deal with them that you've found? As far as the, the younger generation yeah, the, that we the have the younger now? age group. Because I've noticed that, like, a lot of them filter in, but a lot of them filter out. Like, the turnover rate, especially down, like, at Seville is, you know, and you guys over, when you guys were at the district, you didn't have people walking in at 18 years of age working there because they just didn't have the experience. Well, I if they so. did, they were, they were, they were uh, bussers or food runners. Right. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't waiting tables. No. 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 You know. Um, well, you know. One of the things that I always think about whenever it, it comes to work ethic and, and, you know, when I was 13, 14 years old, I started out in the industry as a busboy and I've, I've worked my way up to dishwasher, to bar back, to bar, to, you know, it, I've, I've right. taken those steps. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have, I, I blame a lot of it on COVID, mm -hmm. honestly. Uh, you know, that generation that we have that's coming up right now had those couple of years, those formative years where you would be, you know, 15, 16, 17, where you would have been working in that age group, uh, they didn't have that. They didn't have that option. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't, uh, but in, in rightfully so. But, you know, it was just a little bit different where, you mm -hmm. know, it was just work, 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 work whenever I was that age. Right. Uh, you know, we've got people that get in at 20, 21 years old that have never had an actual, you know, serving job mm -hmm. or, or, or a, a job in general. Right. Um, you know, I, I had a, a young lady that worked for us whenever I first started who had never had a job whatsoever. And she did a really good job. But, you know, you could just kind of tell, like, there wasn't that, that – she hadn't built that up just yet. Right. You know? Yeah. No, that's uh, interesting. Now, COVID was different that way. I remember when when almost every, every college student in the nation found out that, you know, th they were closing down. 
I was out on the beach at the Sneaky Tiki sitting there with Big Ed, yeah. as a point of fact, and we were surrounded by like 30 students from Ole Miss, oddly enough. And there was a guy standing in front of me with his girlfriend. We were just shooting the breeze. And he looks down on his phone and he goes, they just closed the campus. Yeah. And she looked at him and says, do we go back home? I saw those people three weeks later down on the bus, <laughs> in, on the beach, and they didn't know what was going on. Yeah. You know, they were like, okay, we don't have any school. We don't have a job, mm-hmm. you know. And, and at that point in time, they couldn't even get home. You know, so it, it definitely did have an impact. Well, and that was when when COVID hit. That was my last semester. You know, a day, a typical day for me at, at that time. I would go to classes from eight o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. Then I'd go from three o'clock to about ten or eleven o'clock, and I'd go bartend. I was I just helped a buddy of mine open up an upscale tequila and taco bar, um, and then I would go and work at the jail for my internship. Uh, I was I was a, a correctional officer at Lafayette County Detention Center. Okay, and, no, I've done a lot of that work. Yeah, so. and uh, you know that was that was like day in and day out. I would just go and do that. Mm-hmm. And after COVID hit, it was just like I I went in one day. And I didn't have any of those three things anymore. Yeah, you were. <laughs> that's right. Not even the mask was helping you. Yep. You, you were just stagnant. <laughs> like a Roomba over here just trying to figure yeah. out where to go. Yeah. Uh, and then I was at home just sitting around. Right. You know, it was three months of sitting there until I moved to Pensacola. No, that, it, it still amazes me that to this day, the speed at which things shut down. In fact, and then when they started doing all of the all of the government relief for the restaurant-based industries, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I saw that they're actually looking at another round of relief-oriented, uh, uh, you know, pilot programs for the industry again mm-hmm. because it's suffering so much right now. Yeah. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that works out. So you go to Seville. You're working upstairs. Did you transfer downstairs, or did you eventually just go from upstairs right over to Seville Quarter from the district to Seville yeah, Quarter? Yeah, no, um, I had uh, tried my hand downstairs, and uh, somebody told me that I had a little bit too much of a sense of urgency uh, <laughs> to be working in that kind of environment. So I, I stuck with upstairs, which I absolutely loved. I mean, they had live music every single night up there, which I was probably my favorite part of working there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got to wear a nice little tie to work every single day. I got to listen to bluesy, funky music every night. Oh, and yeah. I got to sling drinks at, at, a, at a high rate of speed. Um, but, yeah, no downstairs for me. Um, it was, it was <laughs> no, kind of, no downstairs for me. It was kind of funny, um, the, the situation that landed me my managerial position. Um, I had met some folks working at Jocko's. They were at the last table that I'd had of the evening at Jocko's on a Wednesday night. They were the very first table that I had on a Thursday afternoon at the district. They came over to see me because they enjoyed sitting with me that evening. They were Mm -hmm. visiting from out of town. So they jumped online and they pulled something up off of our website and they came in to take advantage of the special that was being advertised. And lo and behold, there was no uh, special that was Uh. being advertised. So (laughs) uh, my boss at the time, her name's Lisa Benson. She's the general manager over at the district. Uh, She came over to address the table. And uh, she happened to mention that there was an opening for a restaurant manager position across the street. And the table looked at her and said, he would be so good for that. And uh, we ended up, we stepped off to the side and uh, we, we chatted about it. And she was like, would you be interested in something like that? And then about 10 minutes later, she reached out to my boss. And about a week later, I went and interviewed for it. And about that same day, I, I 
had that position. So yeah, it, was, it was funny. I was actually at the district talking to Doug about something, and he uh, he asked me, he goes, "Do you know a guy named Brett?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, oh, you mean Hugh Grant from across the street?" <laughs> oh yeah, no, I remember that day. And, uh, actually, and yeah. he was like, "Yeah," I was like, "Yeah," uh, you know. He asked me, he goes, "Well, yeah," he said, "You put it, you know, put in an application to be manager," and I was like, "Man, I think you'd be you'd be wise to hire the guy." And I, I don't think that's why he hired you, but I think, you know, he was just, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, maybe. Yeah. yeah, but I was like, yeah, go get him, Brett. <laughs> go, yeah. Yeah, go get him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, back to, uh, to the, you know, the younger generation back at Seville, I had a question regarding that. So you were there whenever we implemented the tablets. Yeah. What, um, what was the, uh, the initial reaction to that when the, the kids especially learned that they'd have some piece of technology to play with? <laughs> Is that how they viewed it? <laughs> you don't have to choose your words wisely with us. You don't. So if they, if you're like, yeah, it was a certifiable nightmare. It was a dumpster fire being pushed down it, the street. It wasn't necessarily like, – there's two sides to it. Uh, I mean they had been doing it a certain way for so, – I mean it's the same thing as when I was brought on over there. Uh, you know, I have a little bit more of a, of a fresh way of thinking about some things. Uh, and the 15 years that I've been doing it, I, I have a couple of things that I know work. I have a couple of things that I know don't work. And there's still a lot that I don't know also. Um, but there had been so many ways that they had been doing certain things for so long. If you take and you bring in something from the outside that's new and it's it's got a lot of energy and it's got a, a lot of different ways of doing things than uh, what you would typically do it, obviously it's going to ruffle some feathers. But oh, yeah. Also, it might have something to prove where it, it makes the job a little bit easier. It just takes a little bit of time of utilizing that new uh, aspect to, to really see how it plays out. You know, so I think, well, uh, it just takes a little bit of time to bring it. So do you think on. it's actually increased the functionality there? It's made it simpler, I think. Um, Which is good. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. That's good. Um, I mean, if you take a room like Rosie's and you have a bunch of bartenders that are, are responsible for their bar guests, but they're also responsible for all of the cocktail servers' guests also, and you take and you eliminate having to put up, uh, put put into the system all of the different orders that they're now bringing to you, mm -hmm. you have more time to focus on your bar customers. You have more time to focus on the drinks that you're making. You're sharper because you don't have, you know, four different things going on where you've got now two things going on. You well, know? They were still analog. I mean, they were still like writing tickets and handing them to the bartender. It is very old-fashioned yeah. sometimes in the way that we cocktail drinks. And uh, it's, I mean, it works. Right. Obviously it works. It's, well, yeah, it's, it's worked for 50 yeah, years, yeah. but, you know, now we're going into the No, but it's what century. we talked about, especially with, you know, with the general manager, Doug Mitchell, when we when we implemented the use of the ID tech card readers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the 8300s. Doug's big love of that little reader was predicated on the fact that you were increasing, you know, you, you were you were minimizing the amount of time for an action by maybe a second. Yeah, but was that like was an important. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was an important second to him. Mm -hmm. So Well, I mean, if you take and you, let's say you do a thousand transactions a night and you've got one second for each of them, you've got a thousand seconds that you're now putting towards something else and right. that's going to roll over into other things too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our, our next move with the tablets is to actually get the 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 integrated uh, payment sleeve. Uh, we're waiting for those to actually come in now, uh, but eventually it'll make it even that much easier for them yeah. because they won't have to hand the, the card to the bartender. It'll just be printing out tickets. Well, and see, the thing that I love uh, 
being who I am and the way that I, I wait, have waited tables in the past, uh, I'm somebody that has always interacted with, with whatever guests I have in front of me. Mm-hmm. So a place that's as big as Seville Quarter, you've got to do a lot of laps. You've got to do a lot of back and forth. But now you don't necessarily have to because you can do all of your ordering. You can cash people out. And, and the time that you would spend running back and forth to the POS system, um, you can now interact with your customers, yeah. which gives them a little bit more of an insight as to who you are. They don't see you necessarily as a bartender or a wait staff. They, they see you as, as a person. So then they come back and they know exactly who they're going to see, who they're, who's going to be taking care of them. Well, they know that like they can be talking to so-and-so, and even though they're still standing there, that drink is probably being made while yeah. they're talking. Yeah. So by the time they come back, you know, less time or has, has allotted that, you know, from whenever they walk away, have to hand the bartender the ticket, wait for him to get to the point where he can actually make their drink, stand there the whole time. And then turn around and take that drink back. You know, that's uh, seconds. One of the things that we we consistently talk about on the show, I think we've hit on it every episode. Now that you're, we, we're talking, we're moving from just POS written hand tickets to POS tablets, you know, payment sleeves with the tablets, et cetera. Looking down the road. One of the one of the things that is concerning a great many people, we concern ourselves with it consistently, is any form of automation in any type of industry. Yeah. And now, granted, most of it that we're seeing right now and a lot of the move that we're seeing is not only, you know, economically based in relation to fast food industries, but there are those elements that are going to be moving into fine dining eventually and maybe eventually even into the quote-unquote nightclub scene. Mm-hmm. What's your view of the automated process or those mechanisms that are that are slowly being introduced? Because it's fascinating. We get a wide range of answers. Mm-hmm. So, I think that as somebody who has spent a lot of time sitting at a bar talking to a bartender, um, I think that that as great as technology is, one thing that it'll never replicate is is the the interaction between guest and bartender okay. you're not going to be able to go into a bar with that, that's run automated uh and sit down and tell the bartender about your day or him say you know oh how you doing or, or you know how's your day been so far and you know you, it's it's bartenders are therapists without a license right you well know? let's take a step back so like right now the only automation that we have for bars outside of the cruise line industry because they're the only ones that can afford like the actual robots like yeah. shaker drinks and whatnot um is a is a tabletop top uh, uh contraption called the back bar okay and what this does is it has a conveyor belt with like three conveyor belts where you put the one of the jiggers and it actually has a screen and it pre-portions out to the exact like fluid ounce uh, the amount of alcohol, a mixer, and everything else. So it still has to be manned by a bartender, but the bartender's no longer actually like uh, pre-portioning yeah. out. The, so you have no spill, you have no uh, waste, you have no theft. From that standpoint, I mean, obviously that's going to be more efficient. If you have precise pours, you're going to cut right. down on your liquor costs. And, and, and but it was funny because we we talked to Ed about it. <laughs> and, you know, him yeah. being a bartender, he's like, oh no 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 no. You know, that's I mean, and that's bartender mentality. But we're talking to a manager now. But I a mean, lot of his premise on it was you'll never replace the personality behind the bar. That right. was big Ed. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly like, how, yeah. I, how I feel about that. And so if you go down to the vinyl, um, I think they still have it down there, but they have the wall yes, of, they have the of wall. liquor, like where all the bottles are, are upside down in the contraption. Everything's gunned. And it actually yep. has to go through the gun, and it's pre-portioned. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what, what are your thoughts on, like, those contraptions? 
I mean, from a business standpoint, it makes sense. Right. Um, yeah. so from somebody that's been served a glass of water that was supposed to be a Jack and Coke, yeah. maybe not so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, it makes sense because, uh, you know, it, it. you will be getting those precise pours. You will be getting uh, exactly what, what you need to put out. Right. Um, it takes out the human error side of it, you know. Um but I don't know. I, I I feel like there there will be some kind of drawback that we oh, just course. we just don't see. Yeah. No. Um, what happens when the machine malfunctions? What yeah. happens? You know, in those instances, you have to have a, a human being behind the bar to to facilitate any any issues that do arise. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's interesting to think about because like right now at Order Counter, the only piece of robotics that we know that they currently have an offer um, is actually a, like a table assistant. Yeah. So it can actually run food to a table behind a server or actually follow them and be uh, like a platform for them to put all of their dirty plates on. So it's basically going to act as like the food runner in the bar back. I mean, in the, in the bus boy. Man, could you imagine trying to explain that to somebody that waited tables 50 years ago oh, or, man. you know, Oh man. No, it, no. <laughs> Gabriel, my, my oldest son and his wife, Susie, they, they frequent a, a hip hop happening spot up in Maryland. That's a faux house. <laughs> and they have one of those servers that are zipping around behind the, and crazy. yeah, half the time they're sitting there and they're asking us stupid questions like I would. I mean, I fight with Alexa half the time. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> so an experiment with it, but they make it uber cute and they, you know, they've worked on the, yeah. the you know, the, uh, the anamorphics of it so that it appears that much more friendly and you don't, you know, but Gabe found a glitch like five seconds in. He's a, he's a Marine. He works with the NSA. And so it took him about five seconds to find a coding issue. Yeah. And so if you asked, you know, how the robot was doing, it would just repeat its name and smile, you yeah. know, and put on a digital smile. <laughs> so they sat there and kept asking the name for like, and then the, the, you know, the waiter had to come over and say, you know, we, we actually need this. We're <laughs> <laughs> talking to my staff, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'd take them about five seconds to start messing with it, which is funny because out, outside of the humor of the situation, working on POS systems and installations, when we see the new presented to people, even if it's just another POS system, we've actually had people working at actively sabotaging the deployment. Yes, actually, in, in multiple uh, Yeah, locations. multiple instances. Yeah. And so if you present, I hate to think with those mentalities mm -hmm. at hand, what would happen to a robotic, you know, assistant? It'd get ugly fast. I mean, I don't think anything would happen to it. You'd have a lot of uh, upset employees, like from the lower level bar back. I mean, excuse me, uh, bus boys and food runners would be, you know, kind of like, "Hey, that's that's my job. You know, that's what I get paid off of." But from a server, you know, I have no point, like no problem, because I no longer have to tip out a that's bus right. boy or a food runner. Yeah, more you know? money in the pocket, right? So it's just interesting to think about. It's coming down the pike, especially with like uh, McDonald's and the, the new legislation out in California raising the the mandatory minimum uh, for franchises and things of that nature to twenty dollars an hour. Uh, McDonald's and Chipotle came out and said that you know we'll we'll be able to weather the storm, right? Um, and we will do things to mitigate it, i.e., raising prices nationally and bringing in AI and robotics. Right. So, and, and that's, that's where that's going to go in the fast food industry. There's no saving it. Yeah. Those people yeah. help burn it down. It's just the way that it is. Obviously the, you know, the industry that, you know, you Ralph and you Brett came from very much different mm -hmm. because it's going to be back of the house. Yes. 
that's going to go automated. It'll take a little longer. It will. Front of the house, that's a completely different, you know, scope there because you mm-hmm. are dealing with the human effect. Right. And I don't think you can get past it. I really don't. Well, so we're, we're moving in that direction, though. Like even in fine dining establishments that I've been to out west, um, they have removed the, the menu, like the physical menu. So they actually want you to, to use your own device. And with order counter, they have a what's called a right. BYOD. It's called a bring your own device where you can actually scan a QR code on the table and actually place your order as a customer from your device. So all that happens is it actually sends to the kitchen from your phone. Right. And boom. So, I mean, for, for somebody like me, um, I get frustrated whenever I call a restaurant and they have like some auto- automated <laughs> reservation yeah. system. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like I can just feel my my vein in my forehead just starting to like pulse right I'm now. I'm exactly like, the same way. I was like, boy, I wasn't irritated when I dialed this number, but I'm not even into the reservation. I want to kill everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the same thing. You know, a, a, at least a person, you know, is, is going to be like just. Picking uh, picking up the phone and getting a person on the other end, mm-hmm. that that itself is just it's natural. It you know it feels right, and it's not to say that we're not moving towards something like that, but I don't know. I just feel like we. It, it's just gonna be it's gonna be weird. In no, another in another weird. in another ten years, it's gonna be a oh, completely be, different oh, scene. Yeah. You know, be, you'll you'll start to see it in five. And like what normally happens in the restaurant space with like restaurant technologies is it always happens in the fast food realm first. Because those corporations have the money to actually develop it. And then the companies like trickle down from there. They'll yeah, they refine it, micronize it, the mom and, and pop stations. And, and honestly, we'll see it whenever like nationally the minimum wage goes to 20 bucks an hour. Because like you're, you're a bosses and, you know, all the other mom and pop shops will not be able to afford that. Yeah. You know, like they're going to have to do something. But at the same time, uh, like Chick-fil-A, they have a, an automated uh, automatic tortilla making machine. And it's actually not a terrible thing in terms of like quality because they no longer have to bring in and house actual like, like tortillas. This machine actually makes them fresh. Hmm. So it's a, uh, you know, from yeah, a, you've got the automated, yeah, Chipotle from a quality the... standpoint, you know, hopefully it does nothing but increases the, the quality of the product that it's putting out. But at the same time, and they're working with some of them. Chipotle has the has the automated device that builds all of their bowls and mm-hmm. all of their wraps now. Mm-hmm. And when it goes under the table, where you have people working on top of it, mm-hmm. all they do is they add the additional condiments when it you know poops out the far end. Yeah, and they bag it and tag it, and it goes to the customer. Right. Well, and a lot of people don't know this, but uh, McDonald's commissaries have very very few human beings working inside oh now yeah anybody's been in a mcdonald's just automated and a lot of the food that comes in even the the eggs all of it's pre-cooked and it's been pre-cooked by a robotic you know conveyor and it's just pre-packaged put onto a a a truck and sent to the location yeah i don't i don't know i guess i'm a little more hesitant uh to adapt stuff like that because i i think that this industry is about self-expression i think Mm -hmm. it's about you know that I've I've seen people that make you know let's use tortillas as example. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've I've known guys that worked at places that that made some of the best tortillas ever. You oh know? yeah, and, no, and, absolutely. There's a place in uh, in San Diego called the Tortilla Factory. Yeah, and, they, and they, all they're they incredible. did was make tortillas. Yeah. <laughs> delicious. The, oh the bag that you brought me from the uh, from the food show. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, that, no, 
All the homemade tortillas and the homemade chips that you you gave to me, they were fantastic. I I obliterated, I murdered the tortillas. Every time I go to a food show, I bring Mike the most ridiculous like yeah. booty bag full. Of Someone stuff. threw him, literally <laughs> threw him this this. It was this big, and I'm I'm holding up my hands about two feet of separation, ladies and gentlemen. And it was just a bag of tortilla chips. So Cam's had Sunday off with me, so I was like. Avocados and eat avocados, and I was going to endeavor to make the guacamole, but well, obviously she did it better. So yeah, <laughs> so I you know she makes the guacamole. I I did damage to myself that I felt two days later, but I <laughs> those chips, oh my goodness, so good. Oh hey, how was the uh, the salsa I gave you? I didn't even try yeah, the salsa. Oh, well, that's right, it's canned, so it's probably not that great. But well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and it's but also a gallon. I is that where you had that seven foot tall burger that you showed? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I got that picture too, and I was like, why? That was just a waste of food, in my opinion. But it was cool to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Now, anytime you see those shows with those advertisements, they're like, "Dude, we make this burger out of an entire steak," and it's like, "What are you doing?" But man, I had I had some Argentinian beef for the first. Time, yeah, and I, dude, I don't know what they injected that thing with, but it was the best <laughs> best piece of meat I've ever put in my mouth. Well, remember, they're using AI photography to evaluate the marbling, and each each piece of steak, each cut of steak, is precise in its marbling count wow. before it goes out. Yeah, no, See, it's something. Whatever which... this is like, just like industry wide, nobody's mm-hmm. gonna have a use for me anymore, man. It's just gonna be like, all right, to hell with Brett. We've well, got well, we, AI we see it everywhere beef. else. Right. It's it's not I mean it's not, you know, there was a <laughs> Uh, Ralph and I were laughing about it one day. We were talking about genetic engineering inside of food products, et cetera. And to see if it could be done, there was a Japanese company that decided that they wanted to see if you could change the genetic coding of pork to include bioluminescence. And they did it. And so for for about six years, they had glowing pigs in, in a little corral out oh front of this gosh, company. Mm-hmm. It was uh, amazing. You know, so we, we just wondered if, you know, like a, like a chem stick, you had to crack the pig in half and shake it before you put it down. But, <laughs> as soon as you cut into it, it just starts yeah. glowing. It gives uh, cracklings a whole new turn. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> maybe I would eat pig's feet now. Just maybe. Ooh, yeah, yeah, hooks. No. So uh, it, another thing that we've been talking about here, well, ad nauseum, about uh, about the uh, – we actually had a, a, a an episode called Tippocalypse. And, you know, we touched on it just briefly in relation to, you know, pooling. But we are hearing just continued nightmare stories and customer complaints. And I'm not going to go back to this restaurant in relation to, you know, the tips, <laughs> the tips being rolled in yeah. to the price of the food, mm-hmm. mandatory 20%, you know, lines. Ralph showed me a picture of a suggested tip button on, on a, uh, it was on a, on a, a gas pump. On a gas pump. Yeah. yeah. I've heard of self-checkout kiosks. Uh, in, including tips now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, even you know, there's a big. Uh, we've had the debate on QSRs. You right. know, whether or not you need to do that. You know, we also the it was um it was uh, wasn't uh, Grubhub. It was DoorDash. Mm-hmm. DoorDash is now announced to all of its customers that if you choose during the course of your menu selection not to tip the driver, your food will probably not be ordered in the amount of time. Yeah, and it won't be delivered in the amount of time in original stipulated so it's like tip your driver yeah they give or, them incentive they're like if yeah. you don't tip your food could take twice as long yeah 
So yeah, I mean, right. you know, yeah, no, and, and for a driver, so. yeah, we, we, so. yeah, we driver we, we food agree. food delivery drivers get the the the, the shit in the stick on on most most things in terms right. of tips. Yeah. Um, so, but in relation to all of these things, customer and restaurant manager currently, how do you think this is going? Where do you think it's going? Oh, I don't know. I uh, there was a, a a restaurant that opened downtown that uh, you know whenever they had said that they were including the tips into twenty uh, percent. Yeah, twenty twenty yeah. percent, which mm-hmm. is average. Right. You know, and if if a, a business is producing twenty percent customer service, there shouldn't be any issue with that. Now, there's always going to be outliers. You're always going to have a, a, a dishwasher that has a bad day. You're going to have wait staff that has a bad day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're not tipping 20% already, you probably shouldn't be going out to eat. I mean, in, in my personal opinion. But, uh, you know, it's uh, to be tipping at, at self, uh, self-checkout self kiosk. Or be, even a gas pump. Like. Yeah, there it's it's tip stands for to ensure proper service and if there's no service being provided by an individual that's pocketing that money then you're just giving more money to big corporations exactly uh which i personally have an issue with mm-hmm. but uh you know it i don't have an issue with it for you know wait staff or, or something to that effect but i mean you take and you look at at the u.s in comparison to other countries um you know European countries don't even have tip options. They mm-hmm. consider it a uh, an insult. Right. I, I was in, in Ireland once and uh, went to go offer the guy a tip, and you should have seen the look on his face. You're lucky I mean, you didn't get dragged across the bar. No, I've been to Ireland too, and yeah, it, it, just whipping out that money. It was my my instinct as well. Yeah. You know where do I put this tip? I was looking for the I was looking for a tip jar. Well, it, and, and <laughs> they they take it as a okay. This guy thinks that I don't make enough money doing my right. job. Mm-hmm. Why does he think that I need more money? Right. You know, so which I mean, I get also, but, you know, raised in, in the United States and, and uh, it's it's just kind of funny how we do things differently. Yeah. Right. We read yeah. for our pocket. So looking at it from another standpoint, one of the questions that has been born out of this discussion is you go there. And as you said, you know, you've got somebody that, you know, you're, the 20 percent is automatic. If you do have a problem with the service as a customer What's your fallback now? Because you can't say, okay, well, um, I'm not giving you a tip or I'm reducing the tip. I'm only going to tip you 10%. How do you affect your complaint to the service? Is going to the manager just enough? Or, you know, because like we've said in the beginning of the show, the way to get your best point across is by affecting money. Yeah. And now that's a lot of that is going away. Well, I think that especially in the industry that, that, you know, we work in, you operate primarily off of two things, word of mouth and feedback. Right. Um, So I think that if there ever were an issue, then you should definitely go to a manager and let them know. Because as a manager, you have standards that you hold yourself to, but you hold your staff to those same standards. So if that's not being met, um, whether or not it, it has to do with, with a monetary exchange or anything like that. I mean, <laughs> right. it, it's something that you should definitely know about so that you, you can't right. fix it unless you know about it. Yeah, no, uh, actually, Order Counter has a, a special back office tool that allows you to go in and look at your employee's quote-unquote report card. So you can see what their tip percentages are on average, what they're selling the most of. You know, is it a lazy server that just has a like a, a special uh, or, you know, or a menu item that they like that that's the only thing that they know? 
Um, you know, so, but I mean, that's how I, whenever I managed out in the out West, I used to manage the biggest sports bar in Colorado. Uh, it's called Stoney's Bar and Grill. I used to call it the Seville of Colorado. So we didn't have nine bars. We had like six, but it was a huge complex. I mean, we could fit 2000 people in it at one time. Um, but the way that I, because I couldn't look at every single server at every single moment because we had so many rooms, I would use their tip percentages to tell, you know, how good of a server they actually yeah. were. We, uh, we, we utilize the same thing. Um, and you know, as, as they say, the cream rises to the top, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you, you want your best people out there. You want to have, uh, that, that option is, is fantastic. Cause it's, I mean, you, a way right. to grade, you, you can't have your eyes on every single person in a place that's 20,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a good, a good feature to be able to have it all on paper in right. front of you, you know, which is interesting because that doesn't become available to the manager without the introduction of the digital device, really. You need the POS system. Right. But at the same time, that. if you don't have a tip system and you're factoring everything in at 20 percent, then you physically have to be there to watch your servers to know who's who's doing who, who's pulling their right. weight. Um, you could look at their sales still and see like, OK, well, this person's selling more. They're probably, you know, upselling. Um, so it just, it just makes your job a little bit more difficult as a as a as a manager, in my opinion. Um, and at the same time, from a server standpoint, how do you know that you're getting that full twenty percent? Exactly, are they using you know two point five percent to pay for their credit card fees? Yeah, you know, are you getting everything? Which I've worked in a lot of places that um, they well, not a lot of them. I, I won't say names or anything like that, but um, that that pull a certain amount from your tips to cover those those service charges. And, and so, right. were you aware of it because? They told you, or were you aware of it because it just became knowledge? Well, it became knowledge. Let me, to let me interject you. here. So it's actually it's common practice for the business owner to charge you a service fee on the tips collected. Yeah. But what we're talking about is like uh, overall. Right. You know, like is it are they are they possibly using it to pay for their their monthly uh, credit card processing fees? Yeah. So you, know, you don't actually know that because you're not. You know, and I highly doubt that they're showing them the sales, <laughs> the total no. tip percentage. You know, and then it's just there's just no way to tell. So to answer your question, Mike, um, I, I was not made aware. Uh, oh, okay. And, and you should have seen the uproar <laughs> that the entire staff had whenever one person was smart enough to be like, well, what is this number right here? And then started to sit down and actually broke it down and found out how much money we were losing mm -hmm. uh, in a monthly period, for instance, right. uh, to, to just paying for our service charges. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. That how the, long did you stay there? Um, I was there for about two years total. Wow. Um, but I found out probably in the last six months. Okay. I was going to say, at what point in time right. did yeah. you become aware of this? Now, I mean, I, I worked at a place in college that, <laughs> that there was, a, this was working for, uh, an unsavory individual. Um, <laughs> just see the, the look down and yeah, away. Yeah. I knew yeah. this was going to be good. <laughs> Well done, Brett. <laughs> this um, this individual had a portion that would come out of our tips that apparently went to what was called a miscellaneous file. Ah. Ah. And so that money, from what I'd heard from another person, uh, would just go to like a personal fund for him. And he would use it for you oh, know, wow. uh, funding things for around the bar. Right. He even used it for, um, you know, like Christmas presents I'd heard once. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, instances like that, man, you're dipping your hand in my, in my honey pot. And mm. it, it, it kind of frustrates me and rubs me the wrong way. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. awesome. at, at, a, at a place like that, though, you know, we were bringing in enough to where if 
it's just communicated that, hey, you know, we, we take out this certain charge, it goes to this amount of stuff. You know, even if we're just knowledgeable of it, it, it would have been fine. Right. Had they told you up front, it wouldn't have hurt so bad. No, but. Figured out you know, what it was to, actually to, used to, for. To, to right. To do out, it surreptitiously. Yeah. 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 And then you, yeah, you trip over it because yeah. someone happens to do the right. math. Well, yeah. you know this for a fact. I mean, you didn't work downstairs, but uh, the, the district has, a, you know, uh, and, and it's an instance from time to time where the server doesn't tell the customer that they, there's an added 18% gratuity yeah. because of the number of customers. Right, the fives, come. right. And it's usually not till the next day whenever they look at the receipt and they're calling Wheezy, like, yeah. hey, what the heck? Well, you and know? that's where uh, I, I tell them, hey, if you if you make sure that they know mm-hmm. that that's there because we, we have all of those receipts backlogged, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. we can go back and see where it was actually physically circled. Right. They verbally told them. I tell people whenever – like I, it's printed on our menu. I inform them whenever we make reservations. Like, hey, this – and I've actually recently just started implementing the, the – parties of 10 or more on one check too. Yes. Um, because, you know, I have a, a monthly group that comes in and it's roughly about 17 to 20 people. And the only complaint that they had was that it took so long for checks to be printed out and, and paid for. And I was like, well, then we can just go ahead and eliminate that. And yeah. no, now, that's now we, yeah. excellent response. Yeah. Excellent right. managerial response. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I don't know. All about the money. Hey, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, it is. Well, it's all about know. time, and time is money. Yeah. yeah. So whether so. you're a customer, whether you're like the you know the restaurant owner, or bar owner, uh, your time is the most valuable resource. Yeah. Um, so you uh, let's see, you're you're managing at Seville. What's uh, what's your long term goals? What do you do? You have any? Like, are you trying to go? You know, general manager. You want a sales position? Yeah. Looking at you now, I don't say peaked. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, so have, have, yeah, where where are you where are you pointing your star at there? Haven't peaked yet. Um, I've definitely uh, I've I've had a lot of learning uh, over the past couple of months that um, where I learned how to manage was uh, a little soul food restaurant in Oxford, Mississippi called Ajax Diner. Yeah. And shout uh, out to them. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know that that was where I was a dishwasher, and I eventually worked up to to. A management role where I was in charge of the evening shift uh, for the for the kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a little more rough around the edges. Uh, it was <laughs> a, a lot of uh, folks that were, you know, a little bit. I, I wouldn't venture to say uh, rural. <laughs> no, no, not even that. It was just uh, a little more of a of a rougher. You know, it was it was a rougher kitchen to work in. Right. Uh, so you you learned how how important it was to while you're working in a in a high volume fast paced place to to still have a little bit of decorum whenever you're addressing somebody mm-hmm. um but for for me right now it's learning more and more about the industry every day uh i hope to uh i have i have a, a goal to move to london uh and go and train people for a restaurant group over there um i've i've had a couple of other ideas for places that i want to go but eventually I'd, I'd like to open up my own place um, I have a little New Orleans style Ooh. restaurant waiting for me, restaurant bar waiting for me somewhere down the line. Uh, <laughs> I think it'd be cool to open up a, a lounge uh, also. I, I think that there's a lot of uh, fun to be had in lounges. Maybe do like a little cigar bar, have live music Ooh. every evening. Yeah. Uh, you know, nothing nothing too crazy or fancy, but, you know, someplace that's cool to go and hang out and someplace that everybody wants to be and is good welcome. Good jazz, yeah. good R&B, yeah. nice piano. Yeah. Good, yeah. good smoke. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean that's that's what I hope. But you know, for now, it's just putting in the day to day work and learning and fine tuning a craft that I love so much. I'll, I'll tell you, so like like where where you are now, you know, like you know, this is your second manager job. Yeah, or, yeah. roughly. 
you have no idea where you're going to go in the next like 10 years. Yeah. Trust me, like where you think you're going to go and where you're actually going to go, take it from me. I mean, you know, you're going to go in that direction, yeah. but you have no idea what's going to come, and, yeah. you know, like hit you in the face and be like, well, okay, well, I'm going to try this now. Well, and I mean, that's basically how I've lived my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, going to college, I, I didn't have a real outline plan for that. It was just kind of run and gun. You mm -hmm. know, it's like I'm in the middle of a, of a busy lunch rush and I've just got to see what works, you know? Yeah, if you had told me, you know, 10 years ago that I would have gotten out of restaurant management and gone into, uh, you know, merchant services and restaurant consulting, I would have been like, how? Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 what? <laughs> Where's that fork in the road? But Don't panic. It's organic. It's organic. <laughs> so keeping in that vein, one quick question for you as we, as we start to wind down. You've got a couple of months in. You are learning probably on a daily basis. You know, this is a do, this is a don't do. What major understanding that you thought you had has already changed predicated on something you've been exposed to recently? Oh, man, that's a good one. I think that, um, you know, probably the the thing that I'm I'm constantly learning more about is no matter how nice or how well you you say something, how nice you address somebody, <laughs> there's always a way that you can do it better. Um, you know, you can always critique some like there nobody's ever going to be positively receptive to you correcting their work ethic, right. obviously. Um, but that's why it's so important to just take into consideration every single time you address somebody. You know, that doesn't mean blowing smoke up their ass for, you know, every positive thing that they do. But it is important to let people know the the, the good things that they bring to your table. And I'm not somebody that's ever really been, you know, told that on a regular basis. About, <laughs> right, right. I mean, not up until recently. I mean, my bosses do a, a very nice job of, of letting me know where my strengths are and, uh, you know, where I can improve and stuff. But um you know, it, it's it's important, especially to, to let your team know people that you're responsible for, that they're doing a good job. So that's that's the place where I have been trying to grow nonstop every single day. It's funny. So you have you go from having to, to learn how to take constructive criticism now to learn how to actually properly give it. Yes. And be, right. You know, a little, the, a little weird. Is it the manager sandwich? You know, is it just pure adulation, which never works? Do I root through fear or trust? Yeah. You know, yeah. All of those components in there. And as you said, finding the right nomenclature. So that, you know, when you when you speak to them, it's not it's not lofty heights, but it's also not the dungeon, you yeah. know, where you're, you know, because I love the corporate adage where, you you know, you never give anybody a 10. Everything's a nine, even if they're perfect. Yeah, that sounds you like know. Doug Mitchell to a T. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the first, yeah. yeah he, I, he won't listen to this ever. So. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. You never know. He gets bored while Shout he's Shout out to Doug Mitchell if you're listening. Yeah, while this. he's unpacking his house still. <laughs> We're sorry we can't help you, Doug. That, you're, that's on you. I saw Doug last weekend. <laughs> he was like, man, I'm still unpacking. <laughs> Uh, we just we live for the Doug Mitchell comment. Dude, you know? Yeah, he's one of our favorite. yeah one of our favorite communicators. <laughs> yeah. He is uh, he's he's he and the Mitchell family have been really really nice to work for. I, you know, honestly, um, I love I love going in there talking to to Weezy, Jack, yeah. Doug, Cliff, uh, and Buck from time to time. There's always a different uh, way. <laughs> no, there's always a different way that each one of them is going to handle it. We were switching out Terminal One and yeah. Rosie's one day, and I had I was in the process of of wiping something to make that happen. A high sense terminal. I got that done. I figured that out because they had worked a very unusual method of partitioning to actually, you know, protect their software. So I got that figured out. I wipe it, 
Ralph's waiting for it. And then on top of it, he has the problem with Terminal 1. So he's like, hey, order counter couldn't figure this out. Can you take a look at it? I figure it out after I bring it back here. It takes me like five minutes. And I'm like, okay, I got it. He's like, bring it back down because the, the, the POS looks terrible on this terminal. So I'm like, all right, I come back down. And they were having the, that was the weekend of the, the crawfish. Yeah, uh, okay. uh, yeah. Uh, Crawfish so, festival. Festival, yeah. yeah. And so there's nowhere to park. So I make the right. I pull into the employee parking lot there, and and I park right. And I'm kind of a rules guy, you know. Uh, that's my background. And I first guy I run into is uh, I think it was Cliff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I'm like, hey, you know, Cliff, I'm parked out back there. Cliff doesn't even turn his head to me. He goes, oh hell, we never tow anybody out of there anyway. And he just <laughs> wanders off. And I was like, okay, I know that's not true, but this is this is Cliff's answer to it. So it was really awesome. I just walked in, and Ralph was like, where'd you find parking? I was like, in employee parking lot. But I said, hey, don't worry. Cliff says I never tow anyone anyway. It's uh. It- it's really interesting to kind of see the family dynamic applied to, um, you know, a place as big as what Seville is. You know, they've, they've all got really big hearts and they all care a lot about, uh, you know, the business, obviously. And it's just funny to see them express it, it you is. know, in, in it various is. ways with their, you know, their various personalities. They and all stuff. have their own, like, special area of interest that yeah. has yeah. to be tended yeah. to. And they're all different. Yeah. You know what's funny, though, through the entirety of it, having, you know, because the only only people I heard about were like Doug and Cliff from mm-hmm. from. from fish and so i didn't have the opportunity to to meet them and interact with them like we do now but having had that opportunity i can say that one of the things that always impresses me about them is ultimately no matter what we apply to doug and no matter what we present him or jack or anyone else with it's about the customer first yeah it yeah, really that is. That surprised it, me, too, not, because, yeah. you know, even like with the, they call it the, it was a cash discount for a long time, and now they call it the non-cash adjustment. Thank you so for So whenever you me. go in, <laughs> um, if they have like a, a mandatory uh, 3.5 or 4% added to the credit card transactions, um, you know, that could save a place like Seville tens of thousands, you know, almost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. And the Mitchells are hesitant to do it because they're worried about the customer. Yeah. You know, like they'll they'll take a hit before they before they let the customer take a hit. And that's right. just the most amazing thing to me because I'm like, wow, okay, they really do have the opportunity to do this and they don't because they care more about the customers. Well, you think about an industry that relies so heavily on customers and, mm-hmm. and guests and you know, even just people that are walking through as tourists that are that are viewing your your place, your establishment. That's why, like, I I always tell everybody that that comes and works for me. We're we're on a stage, mm-hmm. and the stage has to be set. We have to be playing our oh, roles, yeah. no, and we, we call have to it, a, I have a, a, a friend of mine that actually used to call it production. So we'd be like, oh, okay, well, we're in the middle of production. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, it's a, you're putting on a play. You're putting on a show. Yeah. And yeah. in Seville Quarter, you are. You're known world over. Yeah. There are people that it's one of the few places in Pensacola where people come to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and being sister state or sister city to New Orleans, right. people that bounce into there, they're coming over here, you know, yeah. so. But you don't have a successful restaurant for 56 years without knowing how important it is to pay attention to to your guests to mm-hmm. to the people that are in day in and day out because again it goes back to feedback and it goes back to word of mouth yeah right no, absolutely if you call uh civil quarter with an with an issue uh, and you actually make it through nancy uh doug mitchell will personally call you back Oh yeah, you know, no. that's that's amazing. And when you're dealing with things like chargebacks, etc., if you mm-hmm. had, you have an issue with a receipt, you're going to talk to Doug Mitchell eventually about this, mm-hmm. which 
doesn't happen in a bar, you know, a nightclub that size, that type of money, that type of volume. You know, we've done the numbers at one point in time from just a clientele basis. They were doing more people in a weekend during the summer than the entire population of Atmore, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, there's 8,000 people in Atmore, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you guys are blowing those numbers right out of the door. Well, and yeah. you're still going to get that personal attention from a guy like Doug Mitchell. It blows my mind. It does. It's mm-hmm. a different character. It is a southern caricature, but it's something that, you know, I was born in the Midwest and I've been, you know, all over the damn place. It is rare that I have seen that. Well, rare. Seville Quarter exemplifies the southern hospitality aspect in its day-to-day business Mm -hmm. you know i mean it's important that we have the lights on to a certain point it's important that we have the table straight it's important that we have people at the door that are telling you hi and telling you to have a good day when you leave because those are the little things that's like it's it's your first impression and your last impression Mm -hmm. right you know which is kind of where i feel like my job has has Kind of, I, I I come in and and just say, hey, these things are really really important, and you know, the, obviously my bosses have always done it like that. But if people don't do that on the regular basis, then and they're having to hear that, that's not always something that's fun to hear, you mm-hmm. know. Oh yeah, <laughs> but Very it's true. it's Very important. True. So uh, one of the things that we do want to give you the opportunity to talk about is what's going on down at Seville Quarter event wise, what you're doing for lunch specials, things like that. Um, so I've done a lot of um, self-advertising over the past couple of months, uh, primarily through the Pensacola Foodies page. So uh, I'd like to give a shout out to all of them that have supported Please. me. Please, yeah. Um, you. But, you know, we uh, we do uh, a Friday at 5 p.m. We do uh, $1 oysters. We do a prime rib special every Saturday night at 5 p.m. Um, and day in and day out, we've always got something cool that we're, you know, letting our, uh, our talented kitchen staff uh, create and... Uh, put out there for the general public so it just kind of depends on what we've got on hand but it's always something good it's made with quality ingredients and it's at a valuable price so um, come down and see us sometime soon can you uh, can you find those on the Facebook daily or yes we update those on uh, our Seville quarter page on Facebook um, we have uh, Instagram that we like to update on a regular basis too and we've uh, no matter what the day is we've got I mean, everywhere from Latin dance classes to uh, we've got the longest running blues jam in Pensacola uh, in in the state of Florida. The Northwest uh, Florida Blues Society plays every Monday night jazz on Tuesdays, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so always something cool going on over at Seville. Yeah, plus on Saturdays, you've got your watch parties. Yeah, and, yeah, football, you know. and uh, we've got Alabama Room, we've got uh, Florida, Florida State, State. Yeah. we've got Florida. We've, Navy. Yeah, <laughs> Navy too, man. Yeah. Um, they even started to, an, an Argos watch party. Yeah, yeah. Argos watch party yeah. is there. Yeah. So, you know, um, that, not to mention our, our dueling piano show that we do ah. uh, from Wednesday through Saturday from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. And so. the world-famous Rosie O'Grady. Yeah. 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 And always, always go looking for our brother, Big Ed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can find him on a previous episode as well. <laughs> yeah. It's Big Ed time. Uh, this will be, it's Kowalski time. Kowalski time. Well, guys, thank you very <laughs> much for uh, tuning in today. This is actually uh, a two-parter, kind of. This is a, uh, one of the first managers that we're going to be talking to from the uh, the Rosie O'Grady's clan. Uh, the next one will be uh, Mr. William Ennis. So, yeah, which will which will be a load of fun yeah. as well. Yeah. So, getting many different perspectives, getting it from from many different. Uh, 
age brackets as yeah. well. You know, Will is Will is fantastic too. Oh, we love I mean, Will. anytime yeah. that I ever have a question about, he, he had my job before mm. I had my job, so he's been my go-to for almost each and Actually, every single issue. Actually, what's really funny, last side note here is that Doug asked you uh, as uh, Doug asked Ralph about you. Doug asked Ralph about Will too. <laughs> we were standing at the bar in Fast Eddie's. Yeah. Remember, yeah. we just finished hammering out one of the major problems with the with the POS system there, and and he's like, "Hey," and they talked about it for a few minutes, and he was like, "Oh yeah, Will's a great guy." Mm-hmm. Again, feedback. Yeah, yeah. It's word all of mouth. Word of oh, mouth. Yeah. It's not oh, what yeah. you know; it's who you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of the time, but it also helps that both of you are very very good at what you do. Oh, you know. thank you. Thank yeah, you. no, I- exceptional. And when can people go down and actually find you? I know that your schedule changes from yeah. time to time, but as a generality, when can they come down there and see you? Uh, so typically you'll find me at Seville from Thursday through Monday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. I'll usually be up there. Boy, you're in the grind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're there through the lunch, out, right into the yeah, right into the silliness, and then you get to you get to see it come in and bow out. Yeah. That's, that's if you get to leave. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes you get to stay a little bit. I mean, that's why we do it, though. Man. No, I when I saw Brad on way. Halloween night, uh, it, he needed that beer. That was awesome. <laughs> I saw him walking by. He didn't even see me. The second time, he was like, "Fooch!" Ghosted me. The beer tipping up. And I was like, "Good man, you've earned that one today." <laughs> little little no... sidecar of Jaeger too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> what you had just gone to get. Yeah. 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 So, but uh, uh, always a fantastic uh, time talking with our SMEs. Brett, you were fantastic. Thank today. you guys for having me on. Oh, of course, we it. hope to have you again. Yeah, anytime. You know, sit down and, and talk and, and ruminate, yeah. as we've talked about <laughs> <laughs> here on this podcast and others. And this has been Business Time, brought to you by RL Technologies and their new restaurant consulting division, Chef's Abacus. They're there's going to be more on the webpage at www.rltechfl.com of that. Uh, you can also, there's a multitude of things that are actually changing on the website right now. After we did the restaurant dive, we reinvested again back into the shop. We've changed it, uh, change it. We've changed some of the, uh, some of the pages on the about page and on the landing page for those fine individuals that are coming to us from examining the RL Tech playbook on Restaurant Dive. Mm-hmm. And so, be, again, be sure to subscribe, uh, subscribe to Restaurant Dive. You're going to find that through industrydive.com, 34 industries to take a choice from. And the one that you definitely want to select is Restaurant Dive, 14 million readers. So make sure that you are one of them. If you want to contact us or email us, you can do so at info at rltechfl.com. And you find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash RL Technologies 180. My name is Michael Fisher. We've had the honor today of talking to Brett Alexander Kowalski. And of course, across from me is owner operator of RL Technologies, Ralph Lawrence. We want you to have a great time listening to us. And as always, enjoy your business time.